hinders the full reflection of the sun off of the moon what hinders it the world or the earth right the different phases it depends on where the sun is and where the moon is and where the earth is on its orbit and it's the same thing that's true for you and i what hinders the bright light of jesus coming through our hearts is worldliness our own struggles with living in this world and becoming like this world The throne room of heaven won't be shrouded in darkness. We learn that in many places in the Bible, and especially from the passage Pastor Daniel will be teaching from today. There's light, color, radiance, all emanating from God's throne. And that light is meant to hit the darkness of this world you live in. It comes from the Lord, through you, out to the people you encounter every day. Don't let anything hinder the light you have to share. Here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation chapter 4 as he continues his message, The Throne Room of Heaven. Now the beauty of who Jesus is is that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you die the next moment, you will go to heaven. Because there's that much power in the finished work of Jesus, in the blood of Jesus. But for most of us, That's not what God does. And we all say, hallelujah, you know? Like we want to live in Christ and experience what life's supposed to be. And for each one of you, you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Every single day is a question, Lord, I want to surrender to your spirit. Lord, I want your spirit to do more in me today than I've ever experienced before. Lord, I've seen great and mighty things, but Lord, I want you to do that work in me. And that's the beauty, and that never ends. We never, you're never like, man, oh man, I've been walking with Jesus a long time. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. That may be true for Bowser, but that's not true in the kingdom. Because God wants to teach you new tricks. He wants you to grow. He wants you to deepen. He wants you to step out more. He wants you to believe more. He wants you to enjoy him more. But heaven is opened because of the spirit of God. Now, what's powerful is when he, right as John, he's in the spirit, he gets this glimpse of heaven and he right away, he sees this throne. Now, all through the scriptures, there's discussions about heaven and throne. Listen to Daniel chapter seven, verse nine. It says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. Now, what's important to realize about the book of Revelation is that in some 400 plus verses in the book of Revelation, there's almost a thousand Old Testament references and overtones. You want to have fun and be go deep in the book of Revelation, just track down all the different references that are in these. And and like, if I was teaching this differently, you know, and and we were just like, hey, we're just going to study the book of Revelation for the rest of until Jesus comes back, I would do it that way. Like, we're like, look at this verse, and look at this verse, and look at this, and look at how this works. Because there's really nothing in the book of Revelation that comes without some sort of reference to something that's already been inspired in sacred scripture. So there's this idea of the heaven, Daniel. Listen to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Another reference says, listen, in the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord, where? Sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, when heaven is opened, we ultimately see the Lord on the throne. Now, here's the deal, my friends. The whole of growth in your Christian life comes down to who sits on the throne of your life. I think it was A.W. Tozer, and I'm paraphrasing, because A.W. Tozer had a great way with words, me, not so much. You know, He said, in effect, that in every believer's heart, there is a throne and a cross. For most believers, we leave Jesus on the cross so we can sit on the throne. But for the mature believer, we take the cross and we give Jesus the throne. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? So right now, in the presence of God between you and him, Who's on the throne in your heart? And here's what I want to tell you. If you're like, it's totally me right now. Don't despair. Because the only way you can move from where you are is to know where you are. You have to start somewhere. And if you're like, that's totally me. I'm on the throne. I want Jesus on the cross. I believe that he died for me. But really my life is about me and what I want and how I feel. If that's the case, then you have to say, okay, Lord, I want to... Deny myself, take up my cross and follow after you, Jesus, so that you can have your rightful place as king on the throne. Now, I'm here to tell you, you might make that decision today and you're going to have to make that decision again tomorrow. That's the beauty of sanctification. That's the beauty of what God wants to do in our lives. Who's on the throne of our lives? All through the scripture, the reason Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords is because he deserves the throne. He's the rightful heir to the throne. And I'm here to tell you, in my experience of walking with Jesus, the only way my life ever makes sense, the only way when I feel like, man, this is the abundant life, is always when Jesus is on the throne. It's always when it's about him. And the beauty of following Jesus is that God knows that for us, sometimes it's not about him. It's about us. And the beauty is that when we realize it, we acknowledge it. The Bible calls it repentance. It's when we acknowledge, hey, Something's a little upside down in my life. And I need to change that. And I believe that that word repentance is such a beautiful word. As I get older and as I walk with Jesus longer, I'm more in love with this idea of repentance because what it means is that I am turning from my own way and I'm turning to God. I'm saying, God, I truly desire to know you. And I realize that as I I believe in you and I know you and I'm growing in my relationship with you, there is always this opportunity to turn away from my own ways and turn to the Lord. You know, in a lot of ways, this idea that heaven is open and then we get there by the spirit and that God is doing a work, it's what drives so much of who we are. It's why as a church, like I'm so excited about not only who we are but I know that God is just getting started because I realize that as we walk in the spirit, we're going to care more and more about our community because Jesus does. That we're going to want to serve more self-sacrificially than we ever have because we're following Jesus who gave up his life for us. He impoverished himself so that we might know the riches of God and then we follow him and we're like, hey, we're going to give of what we've got, what we've received because we want others to be blessed. And the whole idea, we only serve those people who deserve it, that goes out the window because we believe in a savior who died for us and I never deserved it. You didn't deserve it. Nobody was entitled to heaven. It it was given to us as a gift. It's why I get so excited when I see what God is doing because I realize because heaven is open, because God is on the throne and as we 
press in with whatever knobs are on our side of the wall. As we press into what God is doing, all of a sudden, things start changing. We start changing. We start becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, as John has seen this throne, he gets kind of captivated by the throne. Look at what happens next. Picking up in in verse 3, it says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now, what's really powerful about this is really he doesn't talk about who's on the throne really. He talks about what it looks like. Right, And all of this speaks of great color. And so what I think is so powerful here is what this teaches us in verse 3 is that God is light. Like John is captive. He's, he's seeing visuals of the throne room of heaven. And all he can think about is the different colors he's seeing. Right? And like, so you look at these different colors that are there, like a jasper and a sardius stone. So like a jasper in that culture was like a blue-white diamond. A sardius was a kind of a blood-red color then you have what's interesting is you have like a rainbow but it was like an emerald so it's like an irish rainbow (laughs) see what i did there the green or an oregon ducks rainbow is that better for some of you but definitely not a philadelphia eagles rainbow got from new york (laughs) but you know it's like there's red and there's white and there's blue and there's this rainbow and it's like an emerald which is green he's captivated by light Now, I do want to make a point that in some of your translations, it says that he who sat on the throne was like, and others, it looks like it's talking about the throne. And that's one one of those places in the scriptures that there's the manuscripts, which I want to tell you, you can trust your Bible because there's way more manuscript evidence for your, your Bible than any other book of antiquity. So when people argue about what the Bible says, I start laughing because people do that because they don't want to believe what it says. But like nobody ever argues if Homer's Iliad is the proper thing that Homer wrote. Like in a classics department, everyone's like, yeah, it's Homer's Iliad. You know, like, like there's never like, a, like Shakespeare, you know, like nobody ever argues. Is that really what Romeo and Juliet says? But when it comes about, oh, it doesn't really say that. But there's infinitely more manuscript evidence for the Bible than any other work of antiquity that's ever existed. So when someone's like, well, the Bible doesn't really say that, I'm like, well, then you have to take every single book that was printed before Amazon came along, and you have to call it into question. Because there's so much more manuscript evidence for the Bible. But there are places, because this wasn't like there was the printing press, and it, or it was like, you know, everyone got on Kindle and downloaded the same way. These things were handwritten. And so there are places in the Bible where there's disputes. And if you have like a good Bible that has some references in it, like my Bible says, this manuscript group doesn't have it this way. So some, it looks like they're talking about the person on the throne. Some say it looks like it's talking about the throne. And does it really matter? Does it really matter? No, it really doesn't. But people like to argue about that stuff. So I I didn't want to leave you without mentioning that. But what I love here is the fact that what John is captivated by is all of the colors. Now, of course, God being light becomes a very powerful idea because God is light, and listen to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message that you have heard from him, and we declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Isn't that beautiful? That God is pure light, and there is no shadiness in God. It really speaks of the purity of God. And what's beautiful is Jesus said, I am the light of the world, 
And then Jesus told his disciples, you are the light of the world. Now, if you run back the concept of light all the way to the book of Genesis, the creation account, what we find is that, you know, the first day God said, let there be light, right? And then it talks about how he created the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Speaking about, of course, the sun and the moon. And it's the perfect picture for exactly what God is trying to do in all of our lives. God is the light and God wants our lives to reflect his light. Just the way the sun self-generates light, the moon doesn't self-generate light. The moon reflects the light that the sun has generated. So that makes sense. That, like, I'm not an astronomer. Don't play one on TV. I'm not a scientist. But I was awake enough in science class in, in middle school to know this. Right? And you, you guys were too. Is everyone tracking with me? Yeah. So the beauty is, is because God is light, his light reflects, and then his light gets reverberate or refracted through different stones bring off different qualities of that light and in the same way each one of us we're designed by god to reflect his light uniquely into the world now of course if you look at the moon on any given day i remember we had when i went to i was in middle school there was like an astronomy little thing where you go in there and you'd sit there and they'd shut the lights off and they'd teach you about all the uh constellations i remember that was nap time in middle school so cool I was always great. I'm like, oh, we got astronomy. Nice. Put my feet up. You know, I wish I had popcorn. And just, you know. But anyway, I remember that we learned all the different phases of the moon. The waning and waxing gibbous and crescent. See, I was there. I was learning. But what's powerful is, is if you think about the sun reflecting its light off the moon, what always hinders the full reflection of the sun off of the moon? What hinders it? The world or the earth, right? The different phases, it depends on where the sun is and where the moon is and where the earth is on its orbit. And it's the same thing that's true for you and I. What hinders the bright light of Jesus coming through our hearts is worldliness, our own struggles with living in this world and becoming like this world. So I believe that part of what God is trying to do in all of us is he almost wants to clear off the mirrors of our heart that we can better reflect his light in the world. And I'll be here to tell you, if you live and move in this world, it's kind of like, you know, I don't want to be gross, but I got three kids and they share a bathroom. How many of you got kids who share a bathroom? Yeah. Okay. What does that mirror in that bathroom look like? That's nasty, right? It's, I don't even know how they pull it off, man. There's like toothpaste on it. There's probably some boogers. Like, it's just like, I don't know how they, like, I'm like, I want to teach my kids, like, how do you brush your teeth in a way that you keep all this stuff in your mouth and not all over the mirror? And my kids are funny. Like, I had a 17, a 13, and an eight-year-old. So it's like, you, you we're running the gamut of youthfulness. And it's amazing. Like, that mirror, sometimes I'll walk in there, I'll just be like, oh. Like, it's like, you, you, you can't even just use, like, Windex on that thing. You need, like, industrial cleaner and razor blades. Like they can't, It's just a mess. But what I'm reminded of is like, I'm reminded, of course, of where it says in the book of Proverbs that where there is no cattle, the trough is clean. You guys, you see how this is going here? It's like, like, in some ways, the fact that the mirror is nasty is awesome because my kids are there. And I love those little people. And I know one day they're going to have kids just like them and they're going to be chiseling the junk off the mirror and it's going to be awesome. But the thing is, is like the fact that my kids are there, it's a reminder that like things get dirty because we have kids in the house. And I talked to so many of you who your kids are grown up and you're like, man, I kind of miss that craziness. 
And I'm like, easy to say from where you're sitting. But that's a different discussion. But the idea here is that we have to keep cleaning this stuff because stuff gets caked on there. And I'm here to tell you, you moving through this world with all the stuff that's going on, the political unrest, the social unrest, all the angst and the anger. And then you go to work and work is all jacked up, even if you work in a great place because there's people there and there's economic problems and there's supply chain problems and there's this and there's that. And all day we move through the world and stuff sticks to the mirrors of our hearts. It happens to me. Happens to you. And then Jesus is like, no, no, listen, I want to do that work. And, and I believe that what God wants to do in us is he wants to clear that thing off so that God's light can reflect through us. Now, the beauty is, is we never have to worry that there won't be light from the Lord. But I'm here to tell you that God won't force his window cleaning on your own heart. He simply says, will you let me do that? And my encouragement to you today is let him do that. Let him do that work of cleansing your heart. Say, Lord, will you let my life reflect your light more profoundly? I always love that verse in the Psalms when I think about this, we get to reflect the light of the Lord where it says they looked unto him and they were radiant. I love that verse. When we look to the Lord, And we become radiant because of God's radiance. Of course, you have the example of Moses when he'd go up into the presence of God and his face was glowing. And he remember he had to veil his face. Now, Paul tells us he was veiling his face because he was glowing and that was crazy for everybody, but that glow was diminishing as he spent time out of the presence of God. But the idea is, is God is light and he wants us to be light. And in the throne room of heaven, there is glorious colors. Now, for you Bible scholars, for those of you who are like, I want to go a little deeper, I would tell you, and a lot of scholars make this case, that the jasper and the sardius stone are strategic because, remember the high priest, they wore this breastplate that had the 12 stones, symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. If you don't know about that, it's Exodus 28. What's interesting is Reuben, the first son, his stone was a sardius stone, and Benjamin, who was the final son, was a jasper stone. And what's interesting is if you want to go a little deeper, and for those of you who have lost you already, we'll be back in one second. It says, <laughs> the name Reuben means behold the son, and the name Benjamin means the son of my right hand. Behold the son, the son of my right hand. Who is the son of the father's right hand? <laughs> yeah, the Bible's so cool. If you think the Bible's boring, you're boring. I think it's awesome. This is so cool. So a lot of scholars would say that these stones are symbolic of the whole of the people of God. These colors, the Jasper and the Sardis, from Reuben to Benjamin, all of the covenant people. So it's very powerful, very fun. And of course, to talk about a rainbow, it's amazing. Where did the rainbow come from in the Bible? Anybody remember? God's promise after the flood of Noah. That's where it began. It's really God's flood. Noah just got to survive through it. And it was God's promise that he was never going to destroy the earth. Or the flood again. And what's interesting is the, the rainbow, like it's the idea of a bow and arrow. And it's always important to remember that that rainbow, which way does the arrow point? Up to heaven. Never see a rainbow like a U. So again, all of this matters, I think. So, but God is light and he wants to reflect his light through us. And now I'm going to take just a little bit more. And really, this is just, this message is setting the stage for really these, these, these next two chapters. But look at what it says next. 
This is picking up in verse four. It says, around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Now I'm going to stop right there because then it gets into the four living creatures. Okay. But what's powerful about this is John sees not only one throne with all these colors, but then now he sees 24 other thrones, right? And what's weird is it says there are 24 thrones and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white, white robes and with crowns of gold on their heads. So let me give you the principle and then we'll unpack what it all means. And I think this is so important and and it's the perfect place for us to kind of bring this message kind of towards a landing is really you and I, you want to dwell in the presence of God. Because the 24 elders who are sitting on these 24 thrones around the main throne where the main action is, they get to dwell in God's presence. And then we talked about like the vision that Jesus wants to give us and the abundant life. We've been talking about the spirit and how heaven is open, all this stuff. Really what the gift on this side of eternity is, which extends into a heavenly eternity, is that you and I get to be people of the presence of God. We get to dwell in the presence of God because of the finished work of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, the presence of God is what changes everything in our lives. And I love, we were singing earlier, I love that Pastor Mikey was leading us in that song, A Little Touch of Heaven. The presence of God is a touch of heaven. And for each one of us, we get to dwell like these elders, we get to dwell in God's presence. And really, God is ever-present for each one of us. The thing that is always lacking is our awareness of God's presence. We become distracted by life and circumstances and details. And really what God wants to do is he wants to give us a bigger vision that we're always in his presence. And so that we have to always remember that no matter how stressful or how problematic a season is or a day is that God, his presence is with us because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So like these 24 elders, we get to dwell in the presence of God. Now, someone's bound to ask, Fusco, who are these 24 elders? And you know what the answer is? I don't know. Because the Bible doesn't say. And as I always like to tell you, when the Bible remains silent, what should we be? Silent also. Now, don't get me wrong. There's 24, and there was 12 tribes, there's 12 apostles, and people go blah, 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 blah. And we can do this till the cows come home. I can give you all these different examples of the 24. What's interesting also, for those of you who are Bible nerds, is, of course, when in the book of First Chronicles, when they organized the priests, they organized them into how many different groups? 24. What I do know about these elders, although I'm not going to tell you who they are because it doesn't tell me, what I do know about them is that they're wearing robes that are white, and they're wearing crowns on their head. Pastor Daniel had an interesting observation to share with you today, and it stemmed from an incredible description of Heaven's throne room. The colors and light that fill that space are more than just pleasant to look at. They mean something, too. The colored stones represent and encompass the entirety of God's chosen people, the first and last-born sons of Jacob. They show that God is the high priest, and the light that emanates from his throne shines into the lives of his followers. 
you and I. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel talks about the response to Jesus, the Savior of the world. The only proper response is worship. He saved you. He died in your place. He's given you the chance to secure your eternity in heaven with Him and with all other believers forever. So worship Him. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called A Year of Revelation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.